I hope you brought your Bibles with you this morning because we've got some work to do. And so if you'll go ahead and get your Bibles out, open them up to Psalms 1, or as my six-year-old might say, Psalms. Psalm chapter 1 is where we're going to be camping out this morning. We are jumping back into our Rhythms of Life series that we started a few weeks ago. And I love this series because it's in this series that we're talking about. We're talking about building healthy rhythms or habits for our lives, but for the purpose of spiritual health and growth. And so here's what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Holy Spirit, you penned the very words on these pages. And so now we ask that you would give us wisdom to discern, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand and fall more madly in love with you today, Jesus. It is in your powerful name that we pray and ask all these things. And everybody said, amen. amen. So this morning, we're continuing in the second part of a sermon that we started, that Pastor Matt started before Father's Day, and it was called People of the Word. How many of you were here? How many of you remember that sermon? Good. I'll, I'll let Pastor Matt know that you were paying attention. So we started that series. It's called, uh, this, this sermon is called People of the Word. And so if you remember when Pastor Matt preached a few weeks ago, the passage of Scripture that he preached from was 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in that text, we saw that all Scripture is God breathed, right? That it is the very Word of God, that this book is not just some ordinary book, but it is a book that is speaking to us, that it is the very voice of God. And because of this, it is profitable for us. And so Pastor Matt and Pastor Todd over in Spring Hill covered three things that were profitable for us. And they said this, they said, number one, that it teaches us what to believe. Number two, that it exposes our failures and then redirects our hearts or realigns our hearts with the word. And number three, that it trains us to live righteously. You see, this results in our lives being super equipped and fully furnished to accomplish everything that God has for each and every one of us. In the second part of this series this morning, I want us to see what it means to be men and women who immerse our lives in the Scripture through the reading and meditating and memorizing of God's Word. So I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but out here in East Texas, it rains a lot. Uh, growing up in West Texas in the desert, we didn't get this kind of rain. And so uh, I lived in Florida for 10 years and I experienced that, but I moved to East Texas going, well, it'll probably be kind of a happy medium in between. And last week I went, man, it may rain just as much here as it does in Florida, believe it or not. And so I don't know if you know what, what I'm talking about, but 
every now and then we'll get this thing like this past Tuesday, what I call a torrential downpour, or as we would say out in West Texas, where the bottom falls out, right? And so he, what a torrential downpour is, is this, it, it probably rains about three inches in five minutes. And so when there's a torrential downpour, it comes down, it comes down hard and fast and furious. But in a torrential downpour, Here's what happens a lot of the times. It, it doesn't have the opportunity. It's coming down so hard and so fast that it doesn't really soak in. It, it runs off because there's so much that the ground can't hold it, and it just goes off into the retention ponds or into the drainage system. And then a couple of days later, like on Wednesday or Thursday this past week, we had what I would call a, more of like a, a steady soaking. In other words, it may not have rained as much, but man, it it was steady, and it was consistent, and it, it came down for a long period of time, and it soaked the ground really, really well. And so as men and women of God, we need to be the type of men and women that live not just on a Sunday morning where you hear the word preached and you get a torrential downpour of the word in your life where more of it runs off than actually soaks in. But we need to be men and women who live under the, the constant, steady watering of the Word of God in our lives, where we don't just occasionally hear a sermon, but we actually develop the habit in a life that is of reading God's Word and a life that is saturated with the Word in, in order to experience the fruit-filled life that this psalmist is talking about. Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says this. He said, Blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman. That word blessed is a Hebrew word that can be translated as ashray. Ashray simply means this. You ready for this one? Happy. Some theologians would say it's more of a plural form. It means happy, 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 or happiness is found, or oh, the joy that is found in this type of person. It's not a surface level happiness, but it is a true sense of bliss. It, again, it's a plural form. So you could say happiness is found in this type of thing, or joy is found in this type of thing. And so he begins telling us where happiness is not found in this psalm. He says, happiness is not found in the one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, or who stands in the way of the sinners, or who sits in the seat of the scoffers. He's describing to us how life works. You see, when he says, walks in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly, that word counsel is this idea of wisdom or the way of thinking. He says, nor stand in the way of sinners. When he says stand, this is an action word or a lifestyle. In other words, uh, it's the people you run with. I, I don't know if any of you have ever had your parents say, you know, if you run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. My mom would tell me that all the time as a kid, and I didn't want to hear it, but she'd say, hey, be careful who you run with, because it, you'll eventually become that. It's, or be careful that you don't run with the dogs, or you're going to come home with fleas. That's kind of what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, be careful how you think. Be careful who you stand or who you run around with. And then he goes on to say, he talks about, nor sitting in the seat of the scoffers. This idea of sitting is a reference point to our identity. You see, back then, where you sat was an indicator of who you were. An example of this would be that the poor people sat with the poor people. 
The rich people sat with the rich people. The young people sat with the young people. And the old people sat with the old people. It was all about identity. So be careful who you sit with. Do you see the progression there that the psalmist uses? He says this, he says, Your thinking will shape your behavior and your behavior will form your identity. The psalmist knew that these three areas of our life will drive everything about us. In other words, what we think will drive what we do and what we will do will become who we are. He wants us to know that happiness and joy cannot be found in allowing ungodly, the ungodly ways of the world to inform our thinking, to drive our decisions or shape our identity. This is why we must be that we must guard who we allow to inform our thinking, determine our choices and shape our identity. You see, I don't know if you know it or not, but we live in a world where everybody has something to say. Did you know that? Everybody's got a platform. Everybody's got something to say. The media, the culture, social media, they're all constantly telling us how to think, what to do, and even who we are. We are constantly bombarded 24-7 with ungodly counsel. And so you and I, as men and women of God, men and women of the Word, we must be able to take all of that noise and all of those things and all of those influences that are coming into our lives, and we need to run them through a filter. It needs to be not just any filter, but it needs to be the filter of truth. We need to take all of the ungodly things in this world that are coming into our lives, trying to creep their way into our lives, and we need to run it through the filter of God's Word because happiness as the psalmist says, is not found in the ways of the world. But notice what he says in verse 2. He says this, he says, But his delight, this person's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You see, the law of the Lord, when the psalmist says that, is a reference to the Scriptures. He says that the happy person's life is not driven by the things of this world, but it is driven by the Word of God. His thinking, his lifestyle, his identity is not shaped by the world, but it is shaped by the Word of God. Listen to me, believers. We must be men and women of the Word if we are going to experience the full life that is found in Jesus. So what does this look like? The psalmist says that there are two ways There are two ways that we as believers should approach the Scriptures. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. He says, we must delight. We must delight in the Word. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Notice he doesn't say his duty. He doesn't say that it's got to be his drudgery. No, no, no. He says he delights in the Word. The psalmist isn't describing just a a Christian checklist that becomes work or that becomes duty, but the, the Word of God is something that is to be desired. This word delight is a word that means this. It means to savor or bring deep pleasure. This is an intense type of delight. There is a delight that means to enjoy and then there is a delight that means to, that satisfies you and yet makes you hungry for more. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, something that you've tasted or something that you've had. And as you had it, man, it satisfied you, that craving that you had. But yet as soon as you had it and walked away, man, it left you 
desiring more. My family, as I, I said, I've said in other sermons before and earlier this morning, uh, we, my wife's from Florida, and so we go and we vacation in Florida every year. We've been going to the same spot for probably 10 or 12 years now. And so there's a little place that's south of Daytona Beach that's called Ponce Inlet. And we, we go there and we spend a week on the beach and we hang out and it's our little slice of heaven, if you will. And so my boys have grown up going there. Right across the street from the condo where we stay is a little place called Ho Daddy O's Surf Cream Shop. So Ho Daddy O's has this amazing ice cream. And you can also go and rent your surfboards or paddle boards or boogie boards. But the weeks leading up to our vacation, all my boys talk about is Ho Daddy O's. They can't wait because they have the best ice cream ever. And you know, when you've been out on the hot beach all day long and you're a little bit sunburned, there's nothing better than a big scoop of cold ice cream. And so my boys talk about it. And every time they start talking about it, their face lights up. They have this huge smile. They start laughing and talking all about it. And every single day, I kid you not, if we're there for 10 days, Every single day, right after lunch, they start talking about ho daddy O's. Oh, are we going tonight? When are we going? What time are we going? I can't wait to get there. It creates such delight and such joy within them that my boys, Colton here, the youngest one, he should be a commercial for this place. Because as soon as he starts thinking about ice cream from Ho Daddy O's, he starts singing and dancing and waving his arms around. And he sings this song that he made up called Ho Daddy O's, Ho Daddy O's Ice Cream Shop. And I can't do it, but maybe he'll be here the next hour. Maybe I'll get him up here to do it. But I'm like, you guys got to make a commercial for Ho Daddy O's because you just, you love this place so much. You see, when you truly delight in something, It is so good that every time you taste and experience it, it leaves you craving and longing for more. When you truly delight in something, listen to this, don't miss this. You consume it and then it consumes you. It's all you can think about. Uh, Every waking moment you're going, man, I I, got to have some more of that. I got to spend some time there. That's the way my boys think of Ho Daddy O's ice cream in the summertime. And that's what the psalmist is saying that we need to do when it comes to the Word of God, that we should delight in it. In other words, the Word of God should put a smile on your face. It should stir up joy in your heart. It should create a craving in your soul. This is what it means to delight in His Word. I've got to be honest and confess with you this morning, church family, that when I read the words of David and the other psalmist in this book, And they write things like, as the deer panteth for water, so my soul pants and longs for you. And when he says things like, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he writes all of these things about his delight in the word of God. When I read that and then when I see what delight looks like on the face of my boys over ice cream. And I think about my own life and the way that I should be delighting in the word of God. I've got to be honest with you, church. I'm not there yet. There are times that, I, go, that I, I, I read the Word, I study the Word, I can preach the Word, I can talk about the Word. But as I prepared and studied for this this morning and I looked at that word delight, and I look at what, the ways that my boys delight in things, where it creates this joy that wells up within them and it creates this craving within them. I have to be honest and, and, and let you know this morning that there are days that I am so far from that. But man, I sure do desire it. 
I sure do want to get back to that place where it is the delight of my soul, where every time I have to go do something else, I'm craving and and just waiting to get back to this, to spend time in this. But there are many days that I don't. You see, so many of us approach God's Word like it's duty or like it's work rather than seeing and savoring it as a meal that we delight in. Listen what it says in Psalm 119, 103. The psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, the reasons that we should delight in the Word are, I want to give you about four reasons why we should delight in the Word of God. The first one is this. It protects my purity. Psalm 119, 9-11 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. For I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So in other words, the Word of God becomes a protection for us. It protects my purity. The second thing is this, it lights my path. Psalm 119, 105 says, For your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, it gives us sight in the midst of the darkness. It shows us the way. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but we live in a pretty dark time. So we need the Word of God to light our path and show us the way. The third thing is this, it gives us wisdom. Psalm 119, 98 through 100 says this, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. In other words, it enables us to see life according to God's design. And the last thing it does is this. It reveals God's goodness. This is why we should delight in the Word. It it reveals His goodness. Psalm 119.68 says this. For you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist recognizes the goodness of God. And so he is good and therefore he does good. This means that his statutes or commands are good. Don't miss this, church. When we encounter the Word of God, we are encountering the God of the Word. We're discovering his goodness, his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. You see, this is the reason we should delight in his Word, because the more of his Word that we experience, the more of him that we experience. This, we said right out of the gate, is the very words of God. It is God-breathed. And so when we spend time in His Word, we are spending time with Him. I remember when my wife Lauren and I first met, uh, you've got a Florida girl and a West Texas desert boy. And it's funny how God brings people together. But I remember the first time that we ever spoke a word to one another. it was in the midst of a, 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 a high school and junior high youth camp. And we met in the lobby and it was loud and chaotic, but it was as if everything else kind of stopped. And we walked and we were talking and we struck up this immediate conversation that lasted for about 15 minutes. 
And I remember when she had to run off to the next thing, as I walked away, I, I walked away going, man, I wish that didn't have to end. I wished I could have lingered a little longer. I wish I could have continued to talk to her more. I don't know if I've ever met anyone quite like that. And then as we continued to pursue a relationship with one another and we started dating long distance and, and she was in Alabama, I was in Texas, and we dated like that for two years, she would write me letters. And I still have some of them in my nightstand to this day, 16 years later. But I can remember when she would write those letters to me that I would get those letters and I would read them over and over again. I would read them four or five hundred times because I just wanted to, to, to linger and, and hold on to those words. I wanted to, to know her more because in those letters, she would bear her soul to me. She would describe things that she was doing and what she was uh, experiencing that summer or that year while we were apart. And she would just bear her soul. And so in those letters, I would just read them over and over and over again. I would delight in them because as I read them, I was experiencing her and getting to know her even more. I wonder if we treat the Word of God that way. There are times where we make excuses and go, ah, I'm just not much of a reader. How crazy would that have been to, for me when my, my now wife, but back then girlfriend, would have written me a letter for me just to take it, look at it, and go, ah, I'm not much of a reader. I would have missed out on so many things that she was saying to me. And church family, we've got to look at the Word of God and realize that these are His love letters to us. It is Him describing who He is, what He's done, how good He is, how much He loves us, how much He's paid for us. And so how foolish of us to go, ah, I'm not much of a reader. I don't really care what you have to say. We should delight in it. We should, we should consume it. We should hold on to it with everything that we have, for it is our very life. The second thing that the psalmist says that we should do as we approach the Word of God, that we should not only delight in it, but we should meditate on it. So we should delight in the Word of God, but we should also meditate on it. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, meditating on God's Word is not a common practice that many of us have developed in fact, I believe this is one of the reasons that we don't encounter its transforming power in our lives. You see, meditating, it's not the, dis, the act of disengagement of the mind like some of the Middle Eastern religions would teach you, but it is actually the opposite of that. It, means to actually, it actually means to engage the mind, not disengage it. You see, meditation means this, or to meditate means to mutter, to moan, to say it under your breath or talk to oneself about it. I remember as a child, my, my grandfather would be in another room and I would hear him talking to himself. And, I, and my grandma would say, what are you, who are you talking to in there? What are you saying? And he'd say, oh, nothing. What he was doing was reciting scripture to himself or meditating on the word of God or praying out loud to God. And that's what this means, to meditate means to mutter, to talk about, to say it to oneself. I don't know if you have any friends like I do, but I've got a friend named Brad. And my buddy Brad, 
uh, as long as I can remember from the time we were in sixth grade and started hanging out together, Brad is what I would call a, a foodie. In other words, he, he loves food. He loves desserts especially. He's always lived by this principle. You can have dessert first. Like you don't have to wait on the food to get here. Let's go ahead and eat dessert first and experience the best part of dessert of the meal. Anybody else like that? You're like, give me, give me the dessert. Give me the good stuff. I'll get to that other stuff later. That is my buddy Brad. And I can tell you throughout the years as we've traveled together and now our families have traveled together, he is still the same to this day. He will plan the entire trip around certain restaurants and certain meals that serve certain desserts that he is anticipating and looking forward to. And as it gets closer and closer, you'll see this, this smile on his face. You'll see him start to get all giddy and excited about it. You're like, what is wrong with you, dude? He's like, oh, man, I'm thinking about that triple fudge brownie with some ice cream that they serve at that restaurant that's up there down the, up, up the road a little ways. And when we stop there, man, I'm going to order two of those bad boys and I'm going to devour those things. And then so we'll go to the restaurant and he's like, I don't need any of that fried chicken. Just give me the brownie. Give me the ice cream. And he just devours these things. He anticipates. He's excited. He can't wait. And then when he experiences it a day, an hour later, a day later, a week later, you'll look at him and he'll have the same smile on his face. And you're like, what are you doing and he's like, man, I'm just thinking about that dessert that we had last week, that brownie at that restaurant when we stopped and that ice cream. And it, man, it was so good. Like, mm, I wish I could go back there right now and just have some of that. Every meal like that with, for a foodie, especially for Brad, that is a dessert junkie, it is an experience. Like he rolls his sleeves up, he gets ready, and he dives in. When we meditate on the word, we need to do more than just read it. Listen, we need to read it slowly. We need to meditate on it. We need to experience the word of God like my buddy Brad experiences his dessert. It needs to be all in. We need to roll up our sleeves. We need to jump in there and we need to listen. We need to then chew it slowly and savor it. We need to enjoy it. We need to learn to experience the Word of God in our lives like my buddy Brad experiences his dessert. Let me give you some ways, some applications, some things that you can do in your own life as you open up the Word of God and as you prepare to read it. I taught my boys this from the time they were as started reading. When I started reading them, their little uh, Jesus Calling devotions when they were two and three years old. But I would say, hey, what do we do before we open up the Word? The first thing we do before we ever open this up is we pray. And we say, God, give us eyes to see the things that you need us to see. God, give us ears to hear the things that you're speaking to us. And God, give us hearts that are soft and that receive your word, that understand and then fall more in love with you because of who you are and what you've done. And then we dive in. As you dive into the word, you should ask yourself some questions and make some observations. If you're taking notes, they're going to be on the screen. And here's the first one that I would say to ask is, as you read, you should say, is this a command? And if so, what does this look like in my life? If this is a command, what does this look like, God, for me to follow and obey that command? What does it look like as I live this out? What is God revealing to me about himself in this text? Where is Jesus in this passage? Is there a promise that God is making? And then if there is, take time to thank God for that promise. I think far too often we spend most of our time asking God to do something for us instead of thanking Him for what He's already done. 
We should look at his word, look at his promises and say, God, thank you for fulfilling that promise in my life. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Then you should ask yourself, how can I walk in this truth? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand his word. And then pray that verse in your life. Did you know that you can pray the scriptures in your life? If you sometimes are like me and you get down on your knees and you find yourself repeating the same things over and over again, and it kind of becomes a a routine where you pray the same things, boring prayer over and over again, all you've got to do is open up this book called Psalms. And you can read the Psalms and you can quote them and say them as a prayer back to God. And it can be some of the simplest ones, like where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can literally pray that prayer and say, dear Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. God, help me to experience, help me to taste your goodness today. This is what I'm asking for you, that I would taste and see that you are truly good in my life. You can pray scripture over your life and in your life. Notice the way in which he meditates in verse 2. He says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, he chews on it. He mutters it. He speaks it to himself. He speaks to himself about the word day and night. He speaks to himself about the word constantly. Now, he's not walking around back then with a scroll and every two or three minutes unrolling the scroll and reading the Word of God. No, he's he's reciting it and quoting it to himself because he's developed the habit not of just reading God's Word, but of memorizing God's Word. Psalm 119.11 says this, says, for I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, I have stored up, I have treasured your word in my heart. He's treasured this word, enabling him to meditate on it and incorporate it into his life. We need to be people who know the word and then treasure the word in our hearts because this is what will enable us to be the people of God that meditate on it and allowing it to saturate us to the depths of our soul. Don't miss this. The purpose of memorization is not information, but meditation. The purpose of memorizing God's word and hiding God's word in your heart is not just to know more information, but it is so that you can meditate on his goodness and remind yourself. And if this is taken away from you, then even if they take this away, you still have the word of God in here that you've stored it up in your heart. You see, when God's word fills my mind, it will consume my thoughts. And then it will then deepen my affections for Jesus. I love what Dr. Joey Dotson says. This is a quote by him. He says, The heart loves what the mind thinks about, and the will does what the heart loves. Let me read that to you again. The heart loves what the mind thinks about, and the will does what the heart loves. So what is the outcome of this psalm? What does it mean when we delight in the Word of God and when we meditate on the Word of God? In verse 3, the psalmist says this, For the man or woman who delights in the law, who meditates on the Word day and night, this is what they are like. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he 
prospers. You see, the person who delights in the Word and meditates on it will live a life that is rooted in the Word. This metaphor that the psalmist is using is about a a tree that is planted by a constant source of water. This means that its roots are deep, that it has a constant supply of nourishment, enabling that tree to produce fruit, listen to this, regardless of the seasons and the circumstances around it. It says its leaf doesn't wither and it prospers in all that it does. It's not that it doesn't experience the scorching heat, the cold winters, and the severe drought. It does. It experiences all of those things, but the the circumstances around it do not determine its fruitfulness because it is planted in a place that enables it to flourish, even in the hardest of circumstances. A few months ago in the spring, I, I had a, uh, we, bought, we moved here last August. We bought a house, and one side of our backyard was just completely bare. It was just dirt. And so I was like, okay, when can I plant some grass? And so earlier this spring, I went to one of the nurseries in town, and I said, I need a, a pallet of sod, St. Augustine's sod. And so I got this pallet, and I'm sure some of you have done this before. You grab the squares. After you've prepared the soil, you grab the squares and you go and you just start laying down sod. Uh, It's a real fun job. You should try it if you haven't had the opportunity to do that. But my 10-year-old that night goes, when are we ever going to be done with this? And I said, when all that's laid uh, out here. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. We were out there throwing squares of grass. So it's been doing well. Uh, I went out of town for a, uh, about 10 days, and I came back going, man, it's going to be time to mow that grass. And so I, get, I show back up at, at my house, and I'm thinking, okay, it's time to mow. But I go out there, and I start looking at some places in my grass where the blades of grass are a little bit yellow. Some of it's got some spots that are really dry looking. And as I looked at that, and I was talking to a friend of mine, he, here's what he said. Is he said, man, the yellow blades of grass on the surface are not the problem you got to get below the surface. There's a problem going on with the roots. And here's what I would say to many of us as believers. A lot of times I see people come into my my office over and over again, and they want to talk about all of these problems on the surface that they're dealing with, that they're struggling with. And really, when you start to peel back those layers and dig a little bit deeper, it's not a surface-level problem. It's a, a root problem. They're rooted in the wrong things. They've planted themselves somewhere else when they should have been planted in the Word of God, drawing nourishment from the Word of God. You see, if you remember all the way back when we started this series in week one, we talked about abiding in Jesus, that this is the aim of our spiritual rhythms that we are developing. Reading and memorizing and meditating on Scripture day and night is about abiding in Jesus and letting His Word abide in us. Colossians 3.16 says this, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, let the word of Christ make its home in you richly. This is this reference to Scripture as the word of Christ. It's the Scriptures that are pointing us to Him. John 5, Jesus says this in John 5.39-40, He says this, He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it, is, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
He's letting them know, man, you search this thing over and over. You're searching for me. You're searching for meaning. You're searching for life. And little did they know that life was standing right in front of them and they were missing the point. You see, what Jesus wanted those Pharisees and Sadducees to know in that moment is that every letter of this book points to him. Every scripture, every book, every word from the beginning to the end. Let me just share with you all of these places. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the fulfillment of the law. In Joshua, he is our mighty warrior. In Judges, he gives victory over our enemy. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the mighty wall who protects us from our enemy. In Esther, he stands in the gap. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our song and the reason we sing. He is what we delight in. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom and purpose. In the Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom and faithful friend. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace, mighty God and suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the resurrection of dead bones. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace in the ancient of days. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is salvation to the repentant hearts. In Micah, he is the God like no other. In Nahum, he is our jealous God. In Habakkuk, he is the Holy One. In Zephaniah, he is our Savior. In Haggai, he overthrows the enemy. In Zach Zechariah, he is the Lord of hosts. In Malachi, he is the one with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the suffering servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the Son of God. In Acts, he is the Savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock, the Father of Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving us victory. In Galatians, he is our liberty, the one who has set us free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy and the king that all will bow before. In Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is our hope. In 1 Timothy, he is our faith. In 2 Timothy, he is our stability. In Titus, he is our truth. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Hebrews, he is our perfect sacrifice and great high priest. In James, he is the substance of our faith. In 1 Peter, he is our inheritance. In 2 Peter, he is our purity. In 1 John, he is our life. In 2 John, he is our pattern. In 3 John, he is our motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation foundation of our faith. In Revelation, he is our soon coming king. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He always was, he always is, and he always will be unmoved, unchanged, unchallenged, and undefeated. He is. He is the point of all scripture. 
all of it, all of it is pointing to Him. That is why we must be people of the Word. I want to challenge you to get into the Word of God and see what God will do in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, for it is life to each and every one of us. God, I pray for any person under the sound of my voice that has not experienced you, that has not come to know you as Lord and Savior, that does not know what it means to delight in Jesus, the Lord and Savior of mankind. God, I pray if they're here today, that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would show them how much you love them, that they would turn from their ways and run towards you and find healing and forgiveness that only you can offer. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to be men and women of the word, that we would delight in you, that we would meditate on you, and that you would be our joy, that you would put a song in our soul that the world would hear. God, help us to be men and women of the word. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.